Hello and welcome to the Tech in the Hood podcast. I'm your host, Ahmed Flex Omar. Tech in the Hood is a storytelling podcast that explores the past, present, and future of Chicago's cultural identity through conversations about community and technology. When I came to the U.S. as a refugee in 2000, my story began in Chicago. I built a career in tech, starting on the West Side, which has evolved through experience in finance, social enterprise, and the non-for-profit sector. Along the way, I've learned important lessons about diversity, access, community, and the tenacity and ingenuity of the human spirit. Each week, I reconnect with the friends and mentors who have shared this journey and spotlight new voices and innovators building the future of the tech in the hood. Hey guys, welcome back on the show. Uh, today I have uh, with me my dear friend, Dr. Dominic uh, Gaziano from Body and Mind Medical Center. Dominic, how are you doing today? Doing great. Thanks, Flex, for having me. Yeah, it's good seeing you, man. You too. Yeah, I mean, I could say a long time no see, but uh, saw you recently at an event that you hosted in uh, the West Loop. Yes. It was really creative. I th- I think the topic was what rapid mind reset. That's right. Okay. Rapid mind reset. Yeah. RMR. Want to brand that? Yeah. yeah. Tell tell us tell us a little bit about that. Sure. So, rapid mind resets. You know, we're in a fast paced culture, and I uh, been doing you know many years of interviewing patients. I do a lot of talk therapy. There's a lot of stress in the city, and my patients may have some. They might not be taking their medicines. Hey, you're stressed out. Let's open up. So five to 10 minutes, I get, I get intense and we focus. I try to focus on one problem. They may say I have different categories. There's about, we, we talked about it two weeks ago in my presentation. There's 10 major categories of stress, relationship stress, work stress, um, financial stress, et cetera. We focus on work stress at, the, at my presentation two weeks ago. But mm-hmm. they, and that's a top stress of my patients. And I say, hey, what's bugging you? It's about getting insight into your stresses. Stop. Why am I feeling lousy right now? Oh, okay, bring it to the surface yeah. and understand the why. Th- this is rapid mind resets. You, I think you someone's bring it to trying the surface to reach fast. you on your phone, Dominic. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's, it's all right. It's a life of a busy, busy, I, busy doctor. I was doctor. so into it, I didn't even hear the buzz. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm yeah. here. So that's okay. We'll let it go for now. And uh, so, yes, it's, it's um, really, it's about the most important part of this process is getting, you can't solve a problem if you don't understand a problem. Sure. To understand a problem, you have to bring it to the surface. Sometimes that's a little painful, but be honest with ourselves, you know, no illusions, you know, what is bugging you? And, you know, in a safe space in my office, I've, you know, been able to bring it to the surface many things and understand the why is the next part of it. And then rapid mind resets, there's several, three or four um, common and maybe other interventions you can do at the time, deep breathing, meditation. And there's, there's, there's uh, apps that help us with this. Yeah, okay, go to mm-hmm. app, kind of distresses us. Media distresses us sometimes, but sometimes media, there's a common app called Calm that we can go to. And you know, there's nice, I like, I like the rain and the mountain water. That's my yeah, favorite. Yeah, yeah. And we can listen to that for a little bit after, you know, kind of decompress. And you got to say, I got to table some of this stuff. I can't solve all this problems right now. Five or 10 minutes, you go. And then you reach out to support if you need to. And during that 
five or 10 minute periods, rapid. And, you know, it's going from basically rapid mind reset in summary. It's going from a negative state, mm-hmm. fear, doubt, anxiety, worry, an intervention, a realization, to a positive state, peace and de-stress. Okay. So your internal medicine, right? Yes. Okay. So why would someone listen to you as opposed to a psychiatrist or a psychologist? Okay. Uh, I'm going to explain a little bit what internal medicine is because people think I'm a surgeon and I'm not a surgeon. <laughs> I, don't, I do minor surgery sutures and stuff you yeah. know, every once in a while, but that's you know, not too many other minor. But internal medicine is... So a, you don't make visits at hotels if people have no, accidents? No, okay. I don't. I don't. Um, I'm an adult primary care doctor. Got so it. So the do- main doctor you go to, but I, I'm hospital-based, so I take care of patients in the hospital as well. But basically an adult primary care you know, that you go to. And, you know, I, I, you know, through the years, you know, and it's been a problem all, you can't get a patient to a psychiatrist. They may need it. Sometimes it's just stress. Sometimes they have general anxiety disorder. Sometimes they have panic disorder and I need to help them counsel at that moment. And of course I refer them out to psychiatrists for some more serious issues. Um, But a lot, a lot of primary care, 70% of mental health is taken care of, or at least attempt to take care of in primary care. And I would say it's not always taken care of effectively mm-hmm. in primary care. Mm-hmm. I try to do my part to address these issues and, and, and help the patient out uh, on a path toward uh, uh, taking care of these stresses before they get uh, too bad. And they are affecting their diabetes, their high blood pressure, their asthma, because they're not taking their medicines. And the sugars are going out of control. And I say, hey, you know what? We could deal with the stress. Also, you got you, you to get help. I want to help get your body in order. But right now, the first thing, as a, as a primary care doctor, I, I have to prioritize. I got to get your head in order first. Deal with your stress. And then, you know, we'll help you get your other uh, physical problems in order, too. All right. Well, that's... Uh that's good. That's good to know. I mean, with the event itself, going back, you know, to that, right? So sure. it was really different. I mean, you and I have done a number of events, you know, for mm-hmm. our group of uh, friends and also to complete, you know, strangers, you know, that are sure. medical events, but they're also networking. So it's like a happy hour event, right? But mm-hmm. the that event, you know, tell us a little bit about, you know, what, what, why did you produce it the way you produce it? Because I do remember there were actors that yes, were involved yes. and you didn't tell anyone they were right. actors. So right, right. Yeah, there was a lot okay. going on. Well, there was a lot going on there. So it's really interesting to have that, you know, behind, behind the scenes. Right. So I come, I, I know theater. I took Second City for a year. I, I produced little plays when I first came to the city. So I, I want to do something that I enjoy in this vibrant city. We have, I had a couple professional actor friends that I got involved as plants. And I wanted to illustrate the five aspects of work stress. We were talking about work stress. Mm-hmm. So I, I was going through my slide presentations and I had a foreshadowing, which I kind of planted in there. He was, I was interrupted when I first started talking. And then later on, on slide 14, I had a plan. They had a cue. And mm-hmm. 40, 40 slides, 40 minutes, a little bit long, you know, you know, but I usually try to stand off, you know, 30 minute lecture, but I was going there and about, I, there was a cue for this, this, uh, 
dramatic uh, scene with two workers fighting uh, a boss and a, and, a, and a worker. And I was illustrating uh, an aspect of, of a new boss coming on. That's statistically, this is one of the biggest stresses in work. You don't know your responsibilities when a new boss comes in. Yeah. And there was poor communication there. There was high workload. There was a work-life balance issue. All the things that cause our, our top things that cause statistically workplace stress. I illustrated it best with these two wonderful actors. And, and, and um, there was a moment, I think, that a few people, including you after, said that they wanted to you know, pull those guys away from me. <laughs> they were interrupting my lecture, but then they got it. People got it, it was part of the, part of the show. And I, I, I think it was probably one, and I'm going to do some more of this because it was so well received. Uh, these guys are good, you know. Um, yeah. And uh, I got They're professional to, actors. They're professional. They were in movies together back right. in 2005. So one of the guys yeah. uh, was sitting down and just not interacting with with anyone, but he looked like he was busy. He was working. And, yes. And then and the other guy was, you know, his boss, you know, so... It was fast. It was it was uh, fascinating to see the interaction. Now, did you put together a script for that, or how yes, did that yes. happen? I scripted it about okay. a week before the presentation. We rehearsed three days before on Zoom, um, and these guys were such professionals. They wanted to do another rehearsal the day of. I was rounding at the hospital, and I, and I helped them set it up a little bit. And they so in between I, patients, you're uh, yes. I, well, this is common. Um, I switch up. I yeah. switch up. Like one of my doctor colleagues calls me Dr. Switch because he sees me switching up in the hospital. Sure, 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 sure. And I switch to my, some of my passions. Yeah. You have your vocation. Sure. You know, which is me, medicine. It's always most important. And then my, my avocation, my passion, these other projects for you know, production, you know, and, and presentation, et cetera. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, yeah, sometimes during the day I take a moment and I, and I have to, tend to some things like you know a lot of people that have these these you can call it a side hustle but i think it's a little bit more for me and some other people it's a passion of mine that i that i i love and i and it, balancing it, the right and left brain yeah one thing about about that is that it's it's a it's something that you're excited about and i don't get burned out in medicine i've been doing medicine for a long time yeah some of my colleagues are really cynical by now mm. and i haven't gotten cynical yet and i actually know the signs of burn, COVID burnout didn't do it no, okay. Didn't do COVID did no. Actually, I mean, no. COVID actually. Well, actually, your I, I take that back. Yeah. But I did a book during COVID. Yeah. On COVID, um, a doctor's guide from pandemic to new normal, helping people, you know, get back to normal after after this pandemic and understanding the pandemic, what's happening, mm -hmm. and you know, I, I I think that you know, during during these COVID did was very stressful for me taking care of actual COVID patients and really, really knowing what it is. Um, and I, I did take a few months to get back. You know, I think all of, all of my colleagues, you know, went through the, this, this period of uh, intensity, this strange thing that we felt helpless with as it's coming on. I mean, you know, in, my, in the introduction of my book, I talk about one of the dramatic scenes when I'm trying to go in to the hospital and I'm watching... Um, YouTube videos from the Ebola epidemic on how to do PPE because I wanted to get it right. Because I heard doctors were dying, like 70 of them died in Italy because they got one little slip in their glove and COVID mm -hmm. got in and th they died. So I'm saying, oh God, I got to get this right. And I remember doing the FIT tests, they're called, getting the PPE on with the nurses at St. Mary's Hospital, where I, in one of the main hospitals I go. Um, and I said, do, do I have this right? Do I have this right? She says, yeah, you're fine. 
you're fine, Dr. G. I go, no, do I have this right? <laughs> so yeah. my life depends on it. I got to put this on correctly. And you had access to PPE. Because oh, we did. Okay. We, the hospitals I was at were, were pretty good. Okay. Some were better than others, but and, and uh, uh, about the PPE situation, um, and but we had adequate PPE. Um, and some of the long-term care places, although in the city of Chicago that I saw, the rehab places did not have as much, and yeah. they they got it later. But it was it was just you did the best you could, you know, during those times. Absolutely. I mean, uh, when I was with my not-for-profit NGO Mala, we distributed uh, masks to clinics and hospitals in the south That's and great. Uh, west side, and there was a there was a big, big uh, shortage. Oh, yeah. So um, I know you you've done work in the in those communities. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the work? I think uh, what sure. was it health. Uh, the health in your health in the hood, or what? What is well, it? Well, yeah, you're close. You got the hood thing going on. <laughs> Tech in the hood. I like your brand there, no, but it's not. Mine is not the hood. Actually, yeah. it's close though. I've had this yeah. charity for about about twelve years. It's called um, Health in Your Neighborhood. Okay. Health in Your Neighborhood. Basically, using your resources that already exist in your neighborhood, but but pointing them out and how to use them in the right way authoritatively. So mm-hmm. so we did. Um, did a couple in the south side of Chicago, one in the west side, um, and uh, one in Uptown. Um, so are these um, events where you go to the community and how, mm-hmm. how, is it yes. a weekday event? Is it a weekend event? How how's how's it set up? It was a it's a Saturday event because okay. that's when I have more a little more time. Sure. <laughs> Usually a, a day event on a Saturday, yeah. and and uh, I got other volunteers in healthcare to help do screenings for. Uh, blood sugar checks, uh, for blood pressure checks, uh, for um, uh, wellness, uh, talk about the wellness tenants, including uh, fitness, uh, getting get an adequate sleep, etc. Mm-hmm. One of the, my most memorable ones, and I, I, um, I started writing an article about sunny days in Inglewood. Like I would go down, it was a sunny day, and it was just interesting. Every day I go down, and I would see different side of, of Inglewood that I've never seen. I, I I went in the wellness class of uh, uh, an Inglewood High School down there, and I, I asked them about stress they had. I'm very surprised that the, the, some were stressed of getting into college. One was about a golfing scholarship, but others were about some serious city issues that they had. And I we kind of brought it up on how to deal with it in the city, and I was help reflect. And they, and I invited all them to um, the event I had at, at at a community center in Inglewood. I ended up landing through some friends to um, ex. Bears, Bears players, and they they loved that, and mm-hmm. it was it was it was a good um, day long uh, at at the at a community center in Inglewood that the high school students came and uh, and and their families, and uh, we had some little fitness games, you know, and and everything, and um, so that that's um, an outreach that I enjoy uh, doing, and basically I think it's I realize there's limited resources sometimes in these communities. And I say, you have resources down there. Let me help you connect them, get you some information. It's about the right information yeah. presented in the right way for the resources already down there. That's sort of what my outreach was, was about. And, um, and uh, um, my goal at one point was to do all the, I believe there's 78 neighborhoods in Chicago now, all 78. And I've done about, I've done about six so far. So I'm <laughs> working on it. <laughs> so, so, um, yeah, that's that's my project. It'll get there. It'll take it'll take uh, some time. So, yes. 
do you uh, recruit volunteers, um, other doctors and nurses from other hospitals for these events when you put them together? I mean, yes. Is, yes. You know, different um, departments, you know, so I'm just curious. Well, I, 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 it sounds crazy, but I'm on staff at eight hospitals. I'm an independent practitioner. Wait, wait what? How many? Eight. But it's not as bad as it sounds. So I'm active okay. about, about four or five at a time. Okay. But and I, they all know so, that? I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> well, I always say that, you know, my, I'm at my favorite hospital, but yeah. they're all my favorite. Okay. I, I mean, you know, they're all like my children, okay. right? You know, you got to say that. In course. case, in case but they're listening, it, you know. Exactly. In, in, in a way, they're all favorite and they're on yeah. their own. They're all, hospitals are like little cities. Okay. There's a mayor, an administrator, and there's, you know, and, and, you know, I think it's, it's the whole new environments that, that have characters, the same character for years, you sure. know. And you work with the systems in the hospitals, and some computer systems work better than others, and it's a little it takes a little longer at some hospitals. But, but um, so I so I went to my community in the hospitals, and I have, you know, just asking, you know, I'm rounding, hey, you want to volunteer? I'm doing it, going to do this. And my my rehab facilities, I, I go to a few of those, and and I, I have several from there, you know, that that would would uh, volunteer, and. Um, to do finger, ch- you know, nurses, LPNs, and uh, other other people that would help, um, uh, nutritionists, and so forth, and, and get them down there. Um, so yeah, I, I would um, just get volunteers that way, you know, um, just kind of like a m- month or two before, I would try to round up the right people for, yeah. that, for that initiative. Well, if some people that are in the healthcare field that are listening right now. Yes. What would you say to encourage them to volunteer? Well, I I I think that um, I, I think it would be a, it, it's it's very gratifying to go do this and and see you know a, in a day interact with people and some things that the healthcare professionals take for granted that the public actually doesn't know about you know, pre diabetes screening. We have a high percentage nationally of, of people that are pre diabetic that don't know it, mm. and it's satisfying you know, having that, passing on that knowledge about, about that and other wellness that, you know, it, it's, it's very satisfying day of, you know, um, seeing the satisfaction in families when you, when you do such a program. So how would you find out if you're pre-diabetic? Um, well, I think the one way we can do an AccuCheck, we need to follow that up, you know, a finger mm-hmm. stick. Um, and um, so these days we're having the monitors on that, that we you put on the chest, but that, that requires you to be established diabetes. We, yeah. we, we are moving toward, it's almost barbaric, but we're still doing, we're pricking our fingers, but we're gonna, we're gonna have monitors that everyone's gonna get in the next five to 10 years once insurance kicks in to, to pay for it. But anyway, doing that to screen, you know, AccuCheck and then going to get some blood tests, you know, like a, a hemoglobin A1C, which is, it's an interesting concept, the A1C. It's, um, you have your red blood cells that are that live for about three to four months after they're produced in your bone marrow, mm-hmm. and they get coated with sugar, like your breakfast cereal is probably the best example. So those little you know Fruit Loops that get coated with sugar, the same things happens with your blood cells, and they're kind of concave dips, not disc like, not like Fruit Loops like, mm-hmm. but sort of like them, and they get coated with sugar over a period of three to four months. So it's the and there's this little refractometer that, that analyzes these things after you get a blood sample and tells you your average blood sugar for three to four months. And it's better for long-term monitoring. So if you have one blood sugar that's up at, a, at sort of a, a screening event, 
perhaps, or screening in the office or whatever, you got to follow it up. Say, hey, is this a long-term issue? Or did you drink a gallon of orange juice and your sugar just shot up? You know, perhaps, <laughs> or adrenaline, adrenaline shoots up our sugars too. Mm. You know, the flight or flight reflex when we get um, worry or a real stress, you know, that comes along a danger, mm-hmm. you know, it shoots up our sugar level. So we have to kind of look at this, you know, in aggregate and say, okay, you know, that we want to get the a hemoglobin A1C or glycosated hemoglobin is also or sugar-coated hemoglobin, if you like. And it's three to four month average. So that helps us um, determine if this is a long-term thing, you know. And, uh, and you know, if it's, if it's mild, we can do diet and get it, get it under control. If not, you got to go to medicines and sometimes you just need medicines. Yeah. And you give, you give, I usually give my patients the time, you know, when they start, you know, we try to get under control. If they don't, we got to go to medicines and, and uh, so that's a little bit more about screening for diabetes. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thank you for sharing that um, information. And you touched briefly upon, you know, technology and sure. computers. Ah, and tech in the hood. There yeah, we go. There you go. We got yeah, some tech gotta, stuff to talk about. Yeah. You got huh. to talk a little bit about that, you know. So yeah. obviously uh, telemedicine is pretty uh, sure. big deal. Um, yeah. But we can... I'll go back, I mean, with your journey, you know, in medicine, right? How have you seen, you know, technology evolved? And no offense, doctors still carry pagers or beepers or whatever. Those old Motorola things that millennials that are listening and Gen Zs have no idea what they are. Well, actually, uh, most doctors don't have pagers as much these okay. days. Okay. As okay. much. They have cell phones with, there's there's a direct thing that goes, it's called page copy that'll text your cell phone <laughs> these days. Your pay, my paging service got converted to everything. So you on no my longer cell phone. carry the pager? I do not. When did you finally let go? Oh, probably about seven, eight years ago. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, right. yeah, I mean, some, some do carry it. Some of the hospital service people that are in the hospital still okay. have it. And, um, and uh, so we, we do have it, but, you know, that's, so other technology in my practice that's evolved, you know, is, is the, probably one of the big things is the telemedicine, like you're saying. Mm-hmm. So I started um, telemedicine visits on um, a few platforms. One of them was DoxyMe um, that a lot of doctors have. It's, it's initial free service for doctors and, you know, you can have a paid version of it. But um I started with, uh, you know, DoxyMe about maybe about seven years ago before the pandemic. And um, so I got up to speed about it was a little difficult. Like, you know, I would, for example, and I actually worked with another um, doctor working under me. We actually did a paper we submitted about when you can use just telemedicine, when you can use a physical visit mm-hmm. and when you can use a hybrid and what, what's, what diagnoses are better for each. Now, you know, if, for example, a patient has a bad asthma attack, you got to listen to the lungs. It's a good idea to listen to the lungs. But, sh- you know, during the pandemic, we couldn't do it. We, we were isolated. And most doctors practiced, including mine, for about four months where I didn't have patient visits, but I could kept the telemedicine going. And we had to do our best about, you know, and, and it was a big uh, issue if you did have an asthma to send them to the hospital or not, you know, because we had a lot of COVID there. It was a, a very difficult balancing act during that time, you know, about the telemedicine. But so there's certain things like asthma that, you know, uh, that we, we need to examine the patient and have them there. You know, we want to get the vital signs perhaps to see a blood pressure patient, some, but we do now have a lot of blood pressure 
products at home that aren't bad, that are getting better. They're so-so. So other, other issues. Now, there's things that are okay with telemedicine. Um, and if the patient is, is, is set up at home and, and um, they do have their blood sugar monitors and everything, and a lot of them do, and they want to tell me the blood sugars over the last time, the month I saw them, so we need to adjust their um, medicines by mouth or their insulin, and I can do that telemedicine. It's not that right. bad. So they would um, have to have certain equipment in the, yeah. in the house. And, yeah, and we're getting much better. The definition yeah. of tele- telemedicine actually is a phone call, too. I do a lot of just phone calls you mm-hmm. know, a lot of times because some of my elderly mm-hmm. patients can't hook up to DoxyMe, and they, yeah, they struggle. Yeah, tele- telecommunication. Yeah, yeah and, and it, we do a phone call with them sometimes, mm-hmm. and we're able to get by a lot of good information uh, with the phone call because I've done it for a while, and I know what sure. I can do. And, and then... Sometimes at the end of the phone call or at some point, say, hey, you just got to come in and see me, and I try to find a time soon, depending on what the, what the issue is. Yeah. And we got to see you. But in general, a lot of this we can do with telemedicine, a phone call or a video visit or a combination of those. And sometimes I have a service now that they can text me pictures. I just had a patient last week that texted me some um, pictures of a, to- a toenail. You know, it sounds gross, but it was a, it ended up being a fungal infection. And I, and I saw the picture and I said, oh, yeah, okay, you need to go to a foot doctor and get that thing taken care of because no medicine I'm treating is going to, that it was yeah. pretty advanced. And so, you know, you know, so I need to, the pictures, that's another form of telemedicine. Mm-hmm. So telemedicine means phone calls, pictures, and I have a HIPAA compliant uh, texting service that I can get a picture, you know, and from them. And uh, so I get that. Uh, other things that, that are becoming more advanced right now are you know, uh, the, the glucose meters, if they actually have it on them, we can actually sign up for the Dexcom or the Freestyle Libre. Um, they, uh, we can, act in real time, before they even come, I can see the trend in their blood sugars you know, on a web-based uh, app that I, that open up that they, they mm-hmm. share with their doctor. They can actually share it with like five other people family and friends, so they know if there's an urgent blood sugar, the other people are notified, which is really nice technology. That is, a, you know, they put it either on their shoulder or their chest, the, the little monitor, the Dexcom uh, monitor, and they, they can either, from their phone mm-hmm. or another device they get with the machine, a little monitor, they can read the blood sugar themselves and tell me over the phone, or I can get it web-based before they come. And it, it's, uh, I think this technology we're going to see more and more in the next five to 10 years. Um, it's, it's a, not all insurance accepts it, especially like public aid. It's not, you know, some you have to have, most of the time you have to be on insulin before you can get this because it's expensive. Sure. Dexcom just launched this year. I think they're, they're version seven, which is really sophisticated. It's smaller. It does more things. It's mm-hmm. faster. It, it doing sugars. They're, they're advancing the technology on Dexcom and Freestyle Libre. And um, I think more and more we're going to have this in real time to see this. The other things are the, the heart monitors mm-hmm. that you can get sophisticated heart monitoring, including EKG tracings, also web-based, uh, you know, in the doctor's office. Yeah. And uh, home care companies help set these things up. And home care companies have packages of different telemedicine things, um, uh, usually the, the heart stuff. And, and you can get blood pressure monitoring virtually, too. So that's another form of telemedicine that's that's out there. That's um, do you see uh, wearables playing a role? Yeah. So the Fitbit, those kind of things. Apple definitely. Watch, yeah. Apple Watch. Oh, the Apple Watch is getting more sophisticated. It shows tracings of EK. There's programs there that the Apple Watch has mm-hmm. that that um, patients have shown me and learned that had arrhythmias, 
and I have a patient in his, in his 50s that, that, that shows me regularly what the Apple Watch does. And I'm able to see is the range, a low heart rate, like below mm. 60 is normal. And it's called bradycardia or slow heart rate. You know, um, another patient has that issue. And we're modulating that with some other medicines and we see an improvement. Um, uh, there's other ones the cardiologist or, or I sometimes will prescribe called a Holter monitor that they wear for a month and they bring in later. And they, you can analyze this actually if there's, you know, uh, uh, the company uh, sends in if they if we if we think it's necessary to monitor it in the doctor's office or not they can just bring it in after 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 a month so all these things are becoming there's some that are you know for the consumer the patient and some that the medical community has had for years that are becoming more advanced gotcha gotcha no that's that's really that's really interesting and you you see a lot of that with the future of uh, healthcare. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, I, I, it's it's advancing all all the time. Uh, these different telemedicine applications. Sure, 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 sure. And then so going back to a little bit of your um, creative stuff. Also, you're a writer. Yes. Yeah. So you mentioned um, your book during COVID. Do you have uh, mm -hmm. another book that's more recent? Or well, I. The, the books I've done, I did um, one back in 2007, was my first, was um, Feel Good Health, which was a very upbeat uh, book on, on tips for healthy living. It was broken up in the seasons, the different things you can do each season, uh, and in four categories, um, including uh, fitness, nutrition, um, and then uh, or fitness and, and nutrition, um, preventative care about the doctor stuff, um, healthy, healthy, uh, psychology. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, it, it's, uh, that was, that was a, um, nice little workbook that I did for years, but in 2018 is my book that I'm pushing mostly these days, which is a handbook of health, you know, called well now. And it, um, talks about a little, little, little tougher stuff. Like I talked about a little bit ago about, you know, when you have your, what I call the roadblocks to your health and stress-related things and how to identify those. It has the tenets of wellness that a handbook has, um, all the things that for your wellness. Um, it has how to deal with emergencies, how to deal with in insurance, which has become more difficult lately, the truth is. And it's another story I was dealing with today. But, but uh, how to deal with insurance and, and how to get the most out of insurance, picking insurance and, and maintaining your insurance. Um, and then how to research your health, which is very important, you know, with all this false information, which actually is a good lead into my other book, which is uh, um, 50 teaspoons of medical information uh, to, to, to remedy uh, uh, medical misinformation, uh, 50 teaspoons of truth to remedy medical misinformation is that book, which I did as a cartoon book that people really like. A lot of my students like that. And my, yeah. and it, it shows 50 myths that we have. And I, this predates the COVID pandemic that, um, you know, we talk about vaccines and different things that myths. You mean the time when people were getting medical degrees on YouTube? Yes, and they okay. still are. Yeah, okay. And, and yeah. it's very scary, actually. <laughs> I mean, there's a quote from the New York Times. Um, uh, Political misinformation threatens our democracy. Medical misinformation threatens our lives. And this is a bit serious because it is this very serious problem that was magnified during COVID and more people died 
because mm-hmm. of medical misinformation. I'm going to tell it flat out, and I know these stories. I did my part to battle against that, and I encourage people to do the right thing during COVID, you know, the pandemic, um, get the vaccine, et cetera. And I can answer 100 questions about the vaccine, but, it, but it, is, it is something, and I told the doctors working under me, there's nothing you could do more in your whole career, I believe, than tell people to get the vaccine. And I did it to hundreds of people. I lectured, I did videos in mostly the nursing homes, there's five nursing homes. I was COVID director, and it was a battle to get the, the staff vaccinated. But I got many staff vaccinated, and I think that helped, you know, perhaps in those those environments to to curb, you know, yeah, keep COVID at bay as much as possible. In an environment there was a lot of the most severe environment were nursing homes during COVID, and and so it's a serious thing, medical misinformation that I wrote a book about. I was passionate about it, and. And then the other book I mentioned was on COVID, um, uh, A Doctor's Guide from Pandemic to New Normal. And um, I go through, you know, what I don't, uh, things about uh, what the actual virus is and what it is not and what it, what, and, and to understand this. Um, and I, I believe knowledge is power that, you know, people sometimes want to hide from that because it's unpleasant or whatever. But, you know, we can get through that part of, of of understanding, uh, you know, this, this unpleasantness of, of different concepts, and you know, but that that book um, it did promote the vaccine as well, and um, it actually helped. There's a chapter on stress and dealing with COVID stress. We get media COVID stress and other stress we have with medical PTSD inf- from COVID. PTSD from COVID, yeah, yeah, because there right now there's a lot of return. You know, the work policies yep. and future of work and hybrid and so on. So do you get uh, well, one of the business owners reaching out to you, telling you, hey, how do, how do I keep my office safe? Well, yes, yeah, so actually, I've, I've done some occupational stuff with COVID, too. Like the lab company I was working with, mm-hmm. I helped uh, put together a program that was used in, in a couple schools um, and, and uh, how to t- test for COVID and so they could work, you know, could go back to school and a program of that. And there was a little, when they were out of school for a period of time, there were pods, they were, they were teaching at home that yeah. I helped with those pods and how to, if one person gets COVID, what to do, et cetera. So, you know, it, it, there's a lot of thought that sort of has to go in, whether it was a PCR or rapid test, to, you know, and, and understanding uh, the protocols to go back to work. And I had to tell people, on telemedicine that you can't go to work. And I had this one senior executive from the airlines one time that was not happy what I was saying, but I just said, hey, you can't. And, you know, but he understood after a period of time, you know, it just, you know, those, those kind of things, we were responsible, but we're, there's right now where we are with COVID, if one of the update, I think we have a lot of natural immunity around and a lot of vaccine immunity around. We're, you know, COVID is still serious, but it's because I think, perhaps probably 95 to 97% of us have been exposed to COVID. It's, it's, you know, not a, not a new thing to our immune system Mm -hmm. that our immune system understands it, whether you've been vaccinated or not. And it's, and I still have colleagues that have got getting COVID this year. And it's like one was knocked out for four to five days and other people were, were relatively asymptomatic. So it still can be a nuisance, if nothing else, but it is a, it's always a serious uh, condition that we um, have to take, even now, you know, as we, as we move and we have to understand, you know, yeah. what uh, are the recommendations for boosters. It, and I call it booster hesitancy now. There's vaccine hesitancy, we got booster hesitancy. And, and you know... We got to get boosted every year, or how does... 
How does that, how does that yeah. work? Okay. It's a common question I get like, yeah. okay. You know, I get, I get questions asked like this, like, Oh doc, why, why do I have to get boosted? I just got it like six months ago. And there might be elderly, like one of my patients, 60, 70, and they have medical conditions, serious medical conditions that, that, you know, uh, uh, COVID can affect them adversely. I tell them, well, you get your teeth cleaned every six months. We don't really talk about that, you know, and that's what we're recommended, you know, mm-hmm. to do. And, and I think the more important question is, um, I'm, you know, this vaccine is going to help me. How, how often do I have to have it? And it, it's, it's, uh, um, and I have, I've had some breakthrough people that had breakthrough infections that didn't get boosted in many examples this year. And most of them did, you know, did not get, you know, as, as, as ill, but it's, it's turned the question around like, okay, we have this amazing vaccine that is truly amazing and, and vaccines are safe. If you look at vaccines, I could, they're safer as a class the last 50 years than, than some of the antibiotics we take. Why don't we worry about those? Because we want our sinus infection done right now. We want it mm-hmm. taken care of, but Augmentin has more side effects than the vaccine, but we don't worry about that. You know, you know vaccines are, are, are very safe and effective in general as a class. And the and COVID vaccines have been studied, the Moderna and the mm-hmm. Pfizer specifically, the mRNA vaccines. And they're, they have had the test of time to, to say safe. You know, we got off on a tangent, but I think it's an important tangent here. No, no, they, I mean, it's, yeah, it was very recent. I mean, it was very yeah. traumatic. Yeah. Came out of uh, nowhere. The world, you know, stopped. So, um, I think it's important for yes. us to have these, you know, conversations about this right. about about this uh, topic, you know, and not wait for the next time it also, you know, happens, and also right. be ill prepared like like we were, you know. So, yeah, I want to say one other point in general. Like, I, I, you know, people have hesitancy. I want to help them. I want to talk to them face to face. If anybody has one, you know, want to reach out to me, it's fine. I want to understand their concerns. I'm not saying you know some people just are just not going to want to get a yeah. vaccine or, or any other treatment, for, for example, in medicine. But if we logically look through it and look at fears or, or um, you know, other, other influences that they had, and I think it's a lot about influences of, we're influenced by a club mentality mm-hmm. here, but we want to talk about truth and try to, like I just said, the stress, bring truth to the surface. Yeah. Look at yourself, no illusions, your stresses. Medical, medical um, other vaccines and other medical treatments are the same. You might be fearful of that. Um, I had a patient just last week that was fearful of getting a cardiac catheterization. You know, she, she had serious heart condition that, that the blood flow was compromised, but perhaps a blocked artery. And I had to convince her and over a couple of days, and she, she did go through with it. And she was treated effectively. And, you know, we, we, we found a blockage. We treated it immediately. But she was just... just needed a little extra talking and understanding, you know, yeah. about, about the procedure, just like anything we have, we, we should try to work with people and not give up on people and sure. try to understand the truth in the end. Um, right. And I mean, technology as a tool is a double-edged sword, right? So you can use it for good or you can use it for, you know, right. ulterior mo- uh, motives, you know? So right. how do you use technology in your, pra- in, in your practice? Okay. Well, um, I, uh, you know, I'm, I, in my practice, the biggest technology thing I, is telemedicine I mentioned, but also yeah. um, my uh, 
I prescribe medicines electronically. I think, let me give you an example of that in, in uh, healthcare. Um, and um, actually, I do, you know, sometimes prescribe controlled medicines, and there's a, there's an authentication that I have to a verification for controlled substances that I prescribe, mm-hmm. that we go through, that that we set up, that you know we we, so you know prescribing medicines electronically has I think really revolutionized a lot of healthcare. You know, you can get the medicine, there, you can do a telemedicine visit. Like during the pandemic, it was great, and we can you know do, you know when these antivirals came out, we can prescribe someone who has to isolate medicine, you know, uh, and uh, the Paxlovid medication from Pfizer, perhaps, or other medicines, of course, blood pressure medicines, anything, mm-hmm. that we can get them electronically. Um, and, you know, it happens like it's like 10 o'clock at night, I'm at home and like, patient needed extra medicine. I can do it at home. You know, just look up, open up the, the my vendor's practice fusion, which is the most popular in the country for electronic medical record, and I can prescribe that medication confirm the pharmacy with them. And um, now there's another in- interesting innovation that uh, a vendor came to my office. Um, they have, a, a, you can send the medicines home electronically, which is great for some of my geriatric patients. And you can uh, open it up and, and send, send the medications at home for there. Um, and, uh, uh, and, and it's pretty, sometimes it's same day or the next day. Um, some urgent meds, if they want to pick them up, we can't, we don't necessarily use that, but it's available to, to my patients. So. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. That's that's really uh, it's re- that's really that's really interesting, and we're going to see more and more uh, innovations innovations yeah. there. And so, what uh, what new projects are you working on right now? I mean, you're at four books, yeah. you know. So what what's what's new on the horizon? Well, two main ones. Yeah. You know, I got things percolating. I like to do that. Like I said, it, it makes me happy in between, you know, being a doctor and, and you have your passions that keep you going, you know? Sure. And um, my biggest one is the the RMR, Rapid Mind Resets. And how I want to use that is I want to create a video series that explains this, you know, process and, and, and put it on the web um, and uh, go through with some... Um, uh, literature with with the, the video to for people can to look at it and and go through and uh, and learn about how to rapidly control their stress and um, stress especially in America is we're a pressure cooker and it's a big part and using again the work work stress as an example yeah so and, I mean in tech right and um, mm-hmm. entrepreneurs and men, mental mental health you know maybe recently we started seeing more people you know talk talk about uh, talk about it i mean and, and you focused on work you know stress so yes. what what advice do you have for people that are dealing with that you know because sometimes you know there's shame you know so for example if somebody is a founder of a mm-hmm. company there's you know supposed to mm-hmm. show an aura Sarah and aura you know if they fundraise maybe when they're investors to find out that they have they're dealing with stress or mental health issues and so on. So what, what advice would you have? Well, I think, I think it's, it's, um, I do a stress analysis with my patients, you know, my, and, and, you know, when I see a patient coming in, like one of the most satisfying things, how do you get them it, to come in though? Well, I don't always get them to come in. Sometimes yeah. it's over the phone too, Sometimes telemedicine, okay. which I do the same thing. Uh-huh. And I do the same stress analysis and I can sense it, you know, having, you know, for, for many years and, and sensing, 
you know, someone coming on and, and uh, some people are so stressed out. You can cut it with a knife. They walk into my office or I hear it on the phone. Mm-hmm. And so I sense that and I'm, you know, I'm talking about their diabetes, asthma, other medical problems. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, I, I sense these things. I said, okay, let's talk about your stress because, you know, and some people open up right away and some people it takes a little bit but, but I do I'm in a safe place and I'll come I'm a little bit persistent because I I want to help them in a safe place and I and I say what are what are the list of your stresses I start out with and they might have okay the you know we, I, I give the top 10 categories I'll go over you know some of them work you know financial relationship I think there's two types of relationship stress a significant other your major support causes you stress it's a unique kind of stress that that dealt, is dealt with a different way and I call the other one um, uh, friends and family stress because those are similar relationships that cause you stress. There is environmental stress, which is anything in your environment, meaning your home environment, your commute to work or commute anywhere, and your work environment if you work. And it can be clutter and et cetera, noise. That's you know, called environmental stress. Um, and there's group work or occupational stress, as we mentioned. Um, and uh, there's media stress. There's a new category that I kind of, I'm kind of just kind of added on is geopolitical stress because we're worried about the world and where it's going and uh, global warming and war mm-hmm. that we have now. You know, so geopolitical concerns. Media stress is one that that the last five years there's a lot. It's been a lot talked about, et cetera. And there's been a lot of people have done experimentation about having a week where you totally cut off your iPhone or, or limit it, you know, and everything mm-hmm. and how much better you feel, um, you know, with, with that, et cetera. But media stress like that, you know, and I think, I think a lot of our media is very negative. Unfortunately, yeah. you know, environments, I talked about this at the lecture briefly, but it's that we somehow think that we have to be edgy and dark, you know, in some communities that's, respected or you know think it's cool whatever i don't think it's cool and it's not healthy to be honest that's my opinion (laughs) no it's it's negative you know information i'm not saying be unrealistic or pollyannic and sweet all the time but i'm just saying it's actually not good for you you're not good for your creativity to be so negative all the time Mm -hmm. and we have these negative things that are perpetuated on the web and they say that there's very little not as much positive impact so people have that diet of that all day long you know, between social media and and um, uh, and a, a lot of other media on television, et cetera, and yeah. and you know, and it's not. I mean, scrolling on TikTok and Instagram reels and all that could be a form of addiction. Right. What well, is addiction? It's the same kind of thing, actually. There've been there's been studies on this. The dopamine hits mm-hmm. we get by opening a social media post is is very similar to drug addiction that the hits that we get the dopamine surges and it's the same kind of you know it's dealt with in very similar ways medically mm-hmm. and how to wean yourself off that addiction um you have to be able to it's it, you know social media is wonderful and it can provide so many wonderful things and not to say it's all it's all negative it's not sure, sure but sure. but there is a lot of my patients i ask them you're supposed to pediatricians have known this for decades Mm-hmm. that you have to take a media history. This is before social media. Television, you know, uh, radio, whatever they had, you know, the diet of that, is there a lot of negativity for children or violence or whatever, and it does affect their yeah. development. But the kids are getting now used to iPads at a very early age. Yeah, and they are. And I'm saying, 
you know, we have to, we kind of have to look at that. And I'm mm -hmm. saying, you know, we have to understand what the kids and ask them questions about. Of course, what we should do is like, what if you can't totally censor all this? Yeah, it's, it's not possible, really. But you have to ask them about every once in a while you know, what, 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 what they're getting. But, but I'm going to say for adults as well, you know, and, you know, we have to get perspective. So getting back to the example of my patients coming in, you ask, you know, how do I, I do a stress analysis? And I see, but we focus on the top stress for that day. And the next day, if we, we conquer it, we might focus on, I list those. Like, there's six, okay? I'm going to focus on your work stress. Okay, I say, what is this? Oh, you have a passive-aggressive boss. Okay, fine. Let's deal with that. Tell me, tell me more. Why does it bug you? What can you do? And some things we can't do everything at that time. Yeah. It says, and you've got to give your mind a break. That's obsessive. So you've got to give your mind a break. I'm not saying ignore that stress. Things coming at you, you can't ignore. You've got to deal with. A lot of, you know, a lot of times we've got to table them. What we can do? Well, I need, you need for that particular stress, I'll tell them, you need informational support. Maybe someone within your job mm -hmm. and um, someone outside your, your job. Mm -hmm. So, yes. And sometimes we need to play music like that because it's soothing. Well, there's apps for that. That yeah. little Tinkerbell music we just heard. That was a good example. So... You know, there are apps actually that have soothing sounds that I mentioned in my lecture. So that was right on cue. Thank you for that. Yeah. So anyway, so, you know, it, it's, it's about analyzing these, these things, you know, and getting to the root of them and then informational support perhaps for the job, someone in your work mm -hmm. environment and then someone outside of your work environment, maybe for perspective. But most of the people, this is the sad case. This is sad. Mm. Most people have no friends. A lot of people don't have any friends or family these days, and they're isolated. I'm seeing more and more of that, older or younger. You know. I think there was an UK. Um, there was a minister. Yes, there's of a minister of loneliness, loneliness in the UK. It's like a cabinet level position. So the Brit Brits have it have it right. They're they're taking it seriously. They have a cabinet level position to deal with loneliness. That is true. When I wrote book, well, now I talked about that too. You know, we have an epidemic of global loneliness. And it's only getting worse because of, partly because of social media. We're learning, we're not really communicating with people. There's certain skills that I see lacking that we're not lacking 10 years ago and how to communicate, you know, with each other because we're not communicating with human beings as much. So that presents, and when people have to wander and be obsessed, and I can look at people walking in my office and say, you live alone, don't you? Yes, how did you know, doctor? I can tell by the way they talk and they're in their head all the time. Mm. So I say, okay, I give them homework, old or young. I says, you got to make one, one friend when it, before I see you in a month. What do you like to do? Go out and it's a big city. Okay, fine. Go out. And they're, they're like 40, 50, 60. I, says, I don't care how old you are. Yeah. you got to have some support. And they it's getting harder too yeah. with rem, you know, remote work or hybrid work or yeah. you know, uh, relationships that people would build you know, in the office. I mean, I mean, even in the workplace, it's tough to build like workplace culture right. on Zoom. Right. It's, it's tough, but you know what? This, there's so much negativity. People think like, oh, I can't build a friend. You know, I can't, that friend that I just had left and I'm not going to find, no, come on. Okay, okay here's, I'm going to, there's one concept that I like to talk to my patients too. It's called green flag, red flag. Okay, green flag, red flag. We all know what red flags are. They're negative per personality characteristics that people have that we watch out for. Oh my God, I missed that red flag when I had that business relationship and now I, you know, um, he swindled me out of my, all my money. Yeah. Okay, fine. Yeah, learn from that, the red flags, but look at the green flags. And you start noticing good things, even like I go like, 
Home Depot. I was like this service person, which is so amazingly to find some some crazy little um, bracket that I needed to fix a fence at at my my home, and and she was just wonderful. Um, she she helped me find that, and it was a it was a green flag that 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 I saw in this this person. It seemed like a wonderful person, but other people you meet like there's positive characteristics that they went out of their way to be nice to you. Yeah. So it's called Trader Joe's. Trader Joe's. <laughs> <laughs> the friendly neighborhood Trader Joe's. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, when you're talking about red flags and, you know, green flags, I mean, you were a rest- restaurateur, and, uh, and that's and that's how that's how we met. And uh, the other yes. day you uh, uh, gave a nice, you know, quote. Do you want to say that? Uh, what was it regarding? Um, you know, oh, okay. I think I know you. Okay, yeah. excuse me. Um, yes. So I, I'm. Ref- I was reflecting upon my years as being a restaurateur. Yeah. Which started at the most awful time in about 80 years, like during the subprime crisis in 2009. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to do this. I was passionate about food. I grew up with it. I loved entertaining. I'm having these cool parties that Flex would come to at my home. And, you know, different themes, um, Brazilian, et cetera. And then I said, well, you know what? I, I will, you know, try to do a restaurant because I, I understand people and food and things. And, you know, and I had it at my home, but they say, don't try this at home. So I should have stayed at home, not try it at home because <laughs> restaurants, being a doctor in a restaurateur during a subprime crisis was tough and ended up like I did two years of a nice wine bar and I just had hundreds of events and parties and wonderful memories, both pleasant and, and very tough <laughs> memories um, financially. And then I did, well, I did the cantina for another two years and then it was just became too hard during the, that period. And um, for everything going on, you know, managing the employees and, and the financial problems. Yeah. And I think the quote you're getting to. My, my com app is. Uh... Yeah. Yeah. So we got the, the Goldilocks moment here, too. Yeah. That, the, that we needed a musical interlude. Thank you for that. Yeah, and yeah, uh, yeah, to yeah. kind of break it up here. So the quote that you're talking about was about the restaurant experience, my whole life experience that I had, I had a dream of doing this restaurant and I, and I lived it, been there, done that. And I was glad I did because it was a, it was not a financial success, but it was a life success because I met wonderful people like Flex and several other people that are still lifelong friends right now. You meet them, you know, and they ended up being true friends. They got, you know, they understood that period that I was going through at that time and they're, they're friends to this day. And this was like 10 years ago. Okay. So, you know, the, the quote that you're talking about is, you know, some, some, well, some endeavors will not be a financial success, but they will be a life success. And there's another kind of quote that comes to mind when we're talking about quotes is, you know, you could win or learn. In the case of the restaurant, I learned. I didn't win financially. Yeah. I did win life-wise. But so you, you learn. That learning lesson was what I should be in my life. I, that's not my calling, and it was something else. There's many things to do in life. People ask me, and I talk about it romantically a little bit, stories about restaurants. Do you want to go back and have another restaurant? Well, maybe you know, maybe when I when I have an island, when I own an island, and I have a tiki <laughs> restaurant there, that would, that's when I'm going to have my restaurant, but yeah. not until then. So in essence, no, probably not for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that um, brings us to our last uh, question, right? Sure. sure. 
what message do you have, uh, young young people, right, in terms of getting into healthcare and you know medicine? Maybe someone is sure. you know a creative human being and wants to become a YouTuber. You know, but so what? What is your what is your pitch? Because we definitely need more people in healthcare. Okay, so your question really. Let me paraphrase if I understand it. You know, whether to be like a, a YouTuber influencer, which is the most popular profession these days, I, I believe. It seems like a lot of people are trying to it's trending. It's trending. Yeah. Or going to healthcare. And, but my my t- yeah. my time being a doctor was what was trending, right? Yeah, there was a time for that. Yeah. So. Well, my father said back in the 50s, the doctors were most respected because there's all these amazing advancements coming out, you know, sure. with, with uh, heart surgery and antibiotics and things. And they just thought doctors were miracle workers. Well, I think they're still miracle workers. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, I think, you know, doctors are part of a, a system that is, is, I think, to be part of, uh, you know, when, when you really heal someone, you have some knowledge. To, and my, my satisfying is when I spent, used my mind for a week and a struggle with a, a, an infection and we have to marshal my team you know, of infectious disease doctors or lung doctors for a pneumonia and we figure it out and they, pay, they walk out. Like, it's just, it's just, you can't explain it. The satisfaction of using your mind and marshaling a team and, 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 and working with the patient on a, in a human way is just nothing like it. And healthcare is unique in that. That is my one of my best experiences. So a robot in, is not going to replace physicians. I don't think anytime soon. Okay, Same. I, 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 you know, a lot I, of AI talk these yeah, days. So. Yeah, I don't know how the, you know, maybe they can train them to get bedside manner and something, right? <laughs> and that would be interesting. And some cute little robot that yeah. cheer people up. I mean, I'm all for that. Maybe a hug, hug bot that just hugs people. We need more of that in the hospital. <laughs> yeah, because it's becoming a little impersonal sometimes. We're so I'm busy. Sure the minister yeah. of loneliness in yeah. the UK. Is yeah, we need a hug bot. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm putting it out there for <laughs> the entrepreneurs that, that we do need that. Yeah, because. To be honest, sometimes in hospital settings, the compassion, we're st- trying to get patients in and out. Like, but, and I tell, I tell, you know, just to answer this question, I, the people working under me, I, at the end of the day, I say, who's the most interesting patient? I says, I'm, doing the, I'm asking this question because I want you to have a rewarding career and understand what was the most interesting patient today. And, and I'll, I'll be surprised sometimes with their answer. Like, I'm asking that question also to see medicine through your eyes. Mm. They might be in their 20s and 30s. They'll see other things that I didn't see. You know, so, you know, just to say why not an influencer being, you know, versus a doctor, you know, I think that you have, you know, the ability to change people's lives in a way that's very special. And I'm not saying other careers can't do that. And they do. Mm-hmm. And but it's a very unique part of a profession that you can. And it reminds me of one other quick story that um, when I was going through obstetrics rotation as a third-year medical student. My preceptor, almost ev- evangelically, he said, <laughs> why, why do janitors, or he used the word janitors, or, you know, mm-hmm. why do people, like environmental services or janitors, you know, why mm-hmm. do they, cleaners like to work in hospitals? Yeah. And he, and, and rather than a warehouse. And we are like thrown for a loop. Like, what is he, what is he trying to do? You know, we're doing it. He says, we're just a, experiencing the miracle birth like then it was really amazing to, to do that i delivered like 10 babies you know i was the first hand out you know during that time and i was like in awe but one of my one of my uh colleagues was rolling his eyes and wasn't into it you know and that's why he addressed him and he says well the reason is it's a place of healing they know that 
Anyone that works in a hospital know it's a place of healing. So my point is, if you want, you can make things as meaningful as, a, a, as can be. And you can, medicine is a field that you can make big impact still. You, I think always that's a timeless art that back from the shamans till now, um, that, um, you know, you can, you can, a lot of it was comfort back in the shaman's time. There, you're actually in Africa, the, the, you know, some of those, they would be insulted if you'd ask them a question to find out a diagnosis. You should know, doctor. It was kinesthetic. And there's, there's a lot of that that you can develop or, you know, and, and make an impact in, in medicine. And I still think it's a, you know, it has its difficulties, but it is still a rewarding profession. And I tell, you know, some people that are at the age of deciding, you know, about healthcare, you know, it's still a rewarding profession. But you've got to find, like any job, your mm-hmm. own rewards. Find the silver lining in what you do. In medicine, you certainly have an opportunity to do that um, and, and make, make an impact. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Dominic, uh, Dr. G, yes. uh, thank you for uh, coming on the show today. And also want to thank you for your uh, service. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks yeah. for having me. This was fun. Absolutely. Was fun. It's our pleasure. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Tech in the Hood. It's an honor to have you along for this journey. And I hope you tune in next week. Tech in the Hood is recorded in Ravenswood at the Chicago Podcast Studio. If you want to hear more, you can help by leaving an honest review of Tech in the Hood wherever you listen to your podcasts. And follow us on social media at Tech in the Hood.